So the other day, I'm, uh, I'm coming back from the gym, and uh, I stop at the Starbucks up here in North Paulding, and I'm sitting in the line, and I'm, and I'm going to order uh, my favorite drink, Amy's favorite drink, a very, very hibiscus. Now, I don't know exactly what that is, but, I'm, but I love them. I think that this drink was made in the Garden of Eden originally, and uh, so it's... it's my wife got me into it, and uh, it's, it's, I, if I'm addicted to anything, it may be that. And so I'm getting one of those, one for her, and I'm coming home. But while I'm in the line waiting, and I'm in my truck so I can kind of see above the rest of the other vehicles, uh, it's a pretty long line, I'm noticing that there are two cars that are face-to-face coming from different directions trying to get into the single-lane drive through one is being manned by an older woman, and the other one is, a, is in uh, the other car, has two college students. These cars are face-to-face. They're inching, inching, inching to try to one-up the other one to get into the lane. And neither one of them is budging. Neither one's yielding. They are, they are determined that they're going to be the next person in the lane. And I mean, they are literally this far from hitting each other. And it's, I'm going. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I, I got my phone out because I'm thinking, this is going to be a YouTube Christmas classic. <laughs> all right? Well, all of a sudden, the lady, the older lady, she whips her car into reverse. She pulls into a parking space. She gets out. She walks up to the car. And she starts giving these college students the business. Well, they don't roll down the window they turn their head like this and don't even look at her. And she is just going off on them. She walks away. She comes back. She's got more to say. They're not looking. I mean, and the, the, the more that they blow her off, the, the madder she is getting. And I'm just thinking, this is crazy. It is just, it's, it's crazy. And again, I'm just getting ready to, to film this whole thing because I have no idea what's, what's happening next. Now, the whole time, I, the whole time I, I'm sitting here thinking, I want to get out of my car, which I didn't. I want to get out of my truck, and I want to say to these college students, and I want to say to this lady, hey, do you not know that it's Christmas? Do you not know that it's actually the most wonderful time of the year? It is peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Chill out. But as I'm watching this event unfold, you know what? In my mind also, I'm realizing, you know what? This is just really a little micro picture of the times that we've been in. Christmas, you know, for a lot of people is stressful anyways, but this has been a very challenging year for the people that live in this nation. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with me? I mean, together we've been through a very divisive presidential election. We have watched this election expose just how divided we are as a nation in almost every area you can imagine. We've been through a year of shootings and riots and and protesting that is still going on. We have, in the last month or so, we've seen historic flooding in Louisiana, or I think it was over the summer, people lost everything. And now, just this last few weeks, we've seen destructive wildfires just, just... just burned down acres and acres and acres and, uh, of Tennessee and, and into Gatlinburg and 14 people lost their lives. So, so when you take all of that into account, you know, here I am in my little Starbucks moment, people are a bit uptight. Um, times are a little tense. Folks are a little on edge. They, they want their place in line. Things are, have been a little bit dark. And there are a lot of people who are going into this Christmas season truly feeling like, you know what, when it's all said and done, things are not well in the world. 
Well, if that's how you're feeling a little bit this morning, I want everyone just to take a deep breath. And I want you just to relax because Christmas is a reminder that over 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus into the world to be a light that would guide us through the dark times that we would face, whether it was a nation or whether it was personally, whatever it is that we're going through. So no matter how dark things may seem, in our community, in our country, in our world, in the Starbucks line. And no matter how, what kind of darkness you may be personally going through, and I know several of you, so many of you are going through some dark moments right now, whether it's through health issues or a marital issue or something you're facing with your kid. Listen, I want you to know that because of Jesus, all is still well, all is still bright. John chapter 1 verse 5 reminds us that the light shines in the darkness. And no, so no matter how dark it gets, no matter how bleak things, same, uh, things may be in your life or in the world, the darkness has not overcome the light. And I want you to know it never will overcome. It never will overcome the, dar- the light. No matter, it, it never, it's just never going to happen. As long as Jesus reigns supreme in our world, which is eternal, and as long as he is ruling and reigning and he is supreme in your life, there is no amount of darkness that can overcome that light. Well, there's a passage of Scripture that I want you to turn to this morning that I believe speaks very powerfully into this truth about Jesus. It, it speaks very powerfully, I think, into this time that we are uh, in right now as a nation, and it speaks into whatever darkness you may, may be experiencing in your life this morning. So with your Bibles in hand, I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to show the verses on screen. Now, I want to just kind of give you a little background about the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is about the supremacy and the power and the authority of Jesus, and it was written to a group of second-generation Christians, all right? They had, they had received Christ and the, and the truth of, of Christ from their parents who were obviously first-generation Christians. And these listeners, recipients of the book of Hebrews, they were true believers that had been through a lot of persecution and, uh, because of their faith. And at the same time as this book was being written, they were being seduced by a lot of false teachers and false doctrines, false teachers that were trying to pull them back into Jewish law, pull them into legalism, pull them into moralism, that whole deal. So they were very much in danger of forgetting and walking away from the, the truth of Scripture that had been taught to them by their parents and their teachers. So it was a dark time for these Jewish Christians. All was not well. Things did not seem bright. But in the midst of this spiritual chaos and confusion, the writer of Hebrews, who many people believe was the Apostle Paul, he does something epic. Right at the very beginning of the letter, he takes these listeners back to their past, back to their Jewish roots in the Old Testament, and he reminds them that back in the Old Testament, God instituted three offices to lead the Jewish people. He had prophets, he had priests, and he had kings. All three offices throughout the Old Testament were led by flawed, sinful individuals who played very different roles in giving leadership and direction to a very sinful nation by trying to institute a law that demanded perfection that could never be fulfilled. And in these same first few verses of Hebrews, the writer makes this grand announcement He says, Jesus has come and he has changed everything. 
He tells these, these listeners that when Jesus comes onto the scene, God takes all three offices and he gives them to Jesus. In other words, Jesus becomes and became our prophet, our priest, and our king. As a prophet, Jesus would bring us the true word of God. As a priest, Jesus would bring a sacrifice and make intercession on our behalf. And as a king, Jesus would rule over all things with his mighty power. Jesus was the only one that could successfully and completely fulfill the duties of all of these offices. All that had come before him had failed. And so because of this truth, this epic announcement, as you're going to see through this series, we can say with all confidence that as long as Jesus is in office, serving as prophet, priest, and king, no matter how dark and no matter how chaotic things may seem, all is calm, all is well, and all is bright. Now I want you to check out, if you would with me, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, because this is where it all comes together. The writer of Hebrews says, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways through our ancestors, through, through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. There's your prophet. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory. In other words, all is bright. And He expresses the very character of God, and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. And when He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down... At the right, uh, in, in the place of honor, at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. There's your priest. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. There's your king. Go over to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. The Apostle John writes this Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. There's your prophet. The firstborn of the dead. There's your priest. The king, the ruler of the kings on earth. There's your king. Now you look at all of that, and I'm sure, I, I promise you probably have never heard any of this during Christmas time. And you may be asking yourself, why is this so important? Why, why do I need a prophet, priest, and king? Well, we're going to answer that question over the next few weeks. But I want to take this morning, and I want to talk about why God sent Jesus to be a prophet. Now, before I do that, Let's talk about what a prophet is. What, what exactly is a prophet? Well, a prophet is someone who is sent by God to speak for God and to communicate to people the truth that God wants them to know. Let me say that again. A prophet is someone who is sent by God to speak for God and, commun- and to communicate to people the truth that God wants them to, the, to know. In the Old Testament, prophets were individuals who had a very clear purpose. They brought a warning from God to an individual or to a nation. A prophet was an individual who had literally been handpicked by God, chosen very specifically to go to confront either a king or a group of people or a nation about their sinfulness. And when a prophet would come, a prophet would always issue a call of repentance and he would describe the consequences of continuing in sin. And then a prophet would describe the blessings that God would bring to those that turned from their sin and those who came back to God. So being a prophet was, was a very important job. A guy who was handpicked by God, a woman at times who was handpicked by God. But it was also a very lonely job. 
Because almost always a prophet would bring a message of condemnation and judgment upon a king or a nation. I mean, it, nobody really, really was raising their hand going, I want to be a prophet. Because it was also a very dangerous job. If a sinful, sinful king, or in some cases his family or his wife, did not like what the prophet was saying, sometimes they would try to kill him. If a person claimed to be a prophet of God in the Old Testament, and what they said on God's behalf, they were saying, I'm speaking for God right now, and if what they said turned out to be wrong, the punishment was death. So you didn't just go on around, you didn't just go around claiming to be a prophet. And I would say this, you don't go around claiming to be a prophet today, all right, unless you think that God is directly speaking to you. Well, I want you to know, God, God's spoken, by the way. So here's the thing, because if you went around claiming that you were an Old Testament prophet, claiming to speak for God, and you were wrong, it was lights out for you. So with all that said, why is it so important that God sent Jesus into the darkness of our world to be a prophet? Well, first of all, his role as prophet was a fulfillment of biblical prophecy, In Deuteronomy chapter 18, the prophet Moses is addressing the nation of Israel. And he's actually warning them. He's saying, listen, do not listen to false prophets. Do not listen to people who are actually filled with evil spirits who claim to be speaking on God's behalf. And he says to them in Deuteronomy 18, 15, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from from among the nation of Israel, from your brothers, and it is to him you shall listen. Now, here's what you need to understand about Moses. Moses was the ultimate prophet. If you, uh, in, in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 34, verse 10, when you get to the very end of Moses' life, the Bible tells us that there was, there was no other prophet like, like Moses. No one could, hand, no one could hold a, a candle to Moses. I mean, in baseball, we'd call Moses a five-tool prophet. I mean, he had, a fa- he had a face-to-face intimacy with God. He spoke words directly from God. He had mighty power. He performed amazing miracles. And he was a fearless leader who actually delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. When he spoke, people listened because he, spo- he spoke direct words from God. He had that kind of intimacy. No prophet could live up to the example of Moses. He was the ultimate prophet. But Moses says, he said, listen, if you think I'm a good prophet, wait till you meet the prophet that God is raising up. Wait till you meet the prophet that God is preparing for the future. This coming prophet, he's going to take the office of prophet to a whole nother level. Well, over 1,400 years later, you get into the book of Matthew. And you see Jesus hanging out on a high mountaintop with his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. And he's just having a moment with them. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Bible says that Jesus' face starts shining like the sun and his clothes become as white as light. And the next thing you know, Moses and Elijah, who are like the, the, the stars of the Old Testament prophet world, they show up and they're having a little one off meeting with Jesus. They're talking. And then if things couldn't just get any better, God the Father shows up in a bright cloud and he makes an announcement to Peter, James, and John. Matthew 17, 5, he says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then he says, Listen to him. 
In other words, the, Mo- the prophet that Moses promised over 1,400 years ago, he is now here. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. He is the prophet that Moses is, was talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Now, for the nation of Israel, that was amazing news. Because the lights in the prophet office were now back on again. For us as followers of Jesus, that news is even better because it means that Jesus has come to speak on God's behalf. He's come to speak into our lives, to speak in, to, to guide us and to lead us through the darkness of this world. Listen, I know that when we talk about Jesus, there, there, there is a, a, a growing amount of, of skepticism about the actual legitimacy of Jesus. I mean, there, we can go to studies and stats and facts, and, and you know that there's a growing number of people, especially the younger generations who are becoming atheists or who are becoming agnostics. They are actually denying the, 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 um, the authenticity, okay, of Jesus. When I was working on my master's degree at a little seminary in Hatfield, Pennsylvania, biblical seminary, I had a professor uh, a guy by the name of Robert C. Newman. He had his undergraduate degree in, in physics from Duke University. He had a master's in theology. I believe it was from Westminster Seminary. He had a doctorate in the- theoretical astrophysics from Cornell University. In other words, this guy was way too smart. I mean, just sitting in his class, I mean, it was like he would say things that just your head would spin. But he co-authored a book called Science Speaks. And in this book, he came up with scientific proof that the odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the, of the 60 major prophecies about him in the Old Testament wouldn't just be like one in a thousand that it could happen or one in a million that could happen or one in a billion that could happen. It was actually this number right here on the screen. One in one with 17 zeros behind. I don't even know what that number's called right there. All right. But he said, he said, listen, if you had that many silver coins, you could cover the entire state of Texas in coins two feet deep. And yet, when Jesus came to earth and then died and rose again from the grave, he didn't just fulfill eight prophecies about him from the Old Testament. He fulfilled all of them. 60 major prophecies and 270 prophecies that were actually a result of his life. See, that's proof that Jesus isn't just a prophet. He's the Messiah, he's the Savior, and he's the Son of God. And so Hebrews chapter two, chapter 1 verse 2 says, And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. Well, if God is speaking to us through his Son... And Moses and God are saying, you need to be listening to him, then what should we be doing? Well, when the prophet speaks, we need to be listening. Now remember, a prophet is someone who is sent by God to speak for God and to communicate to the people the truths that God wants them to know. Now as a believer, how, do we, how should we respond to the words of Jesus? Here's what you do. You listen to them, you follow them, and you obey them. Now, where do we find the words of Jesus? We find the words of Jesus in the Word, in the Bible, the Word of God. Now, here's something interesting. The Apostle John tells us that Jesus didn't just speak the words of God. Jesus was actually the Word of God. He was the Word. In John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, and I'm going to read this to you, it says, in the beginning was the Word. 
talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the, be- he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, noth- uh, without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Those are some tongue twister verses right there. In other words, Jesus was there in the beginning speaking into creation. He is there in the Old Testament speaking. He's there in the New Testament speaking. And by the way, he is still here today speaking truth into our lives. In other words, you need to an- when, when you need answers to life's questions, when you need, you need direction, when you need guidance, when you need wisdom, you go to the Word because everything you need to live successfully in this dark world, you will find in the Word, you will find in Christ. And as we interact with the Word and we build our lives upon its truth, Jesus speaks to us through His Holy Spirit, teaching us truth, correcting us when we go off course, guiding us and leading us through life. Now, have you ever had a moment where you just needed God to speak to you? And you feel like God's silent? I mean, you, have you ever just said, God, I wish you'd just give me an answer, God? I just want to know your will. God, are you speaking? Will you speak? Listen, God has spoken. And he is still speaking through his word. Everything that we need for wisdom, for guidance and direction is found in his word. So as Jesus is speaking, what do we do? We listen to his word, we obey his commands, and we follow as he leads us. He is our prophet. He is the very voice of God speaking to us today. If you have a Bible in your possession right now, whether it's a paper Bible with leather-bound copy or whatever it is, or, you, or vinyl, or you have it on your phone, those are the very words of God still speaking to us today. Now here's one more thing that we need to understand about this prophet. And this is so important. Don't miss this now. His mission was very different than the prophets that had come before him. Every true prophet that had come before Jesus came with a message of judgment, came with a message of condemnation for those who didn't turn away from their sins and turn to God. Think about the prophet Jonah. Jonah at first did not want to go to Nineveh. He found himself in the belly of a fish and he decided, I think I better go to Nineveh. And when he got to Nineveh, he told the people, he said, turn from your evil or God is going to destroy the whole city. You think for a moment about Elijah. He told King Ahab, he said, listen, because you've done evil in God's sight, because your wife is really nasty, listen, there's a drought coming to Israel and it's going to last for three years. Think about the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. He's a guy who struggled with depression. He had to tell King Jehoiakim that because of his evil ways, God was going to cause the Jewish people to be slaves to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and then eventually the Persians for 70 years. Prophet after prophet after prophet came with a message of condemnation and judgment. But Jesus changed the game. Jesus came with a message of grace and salvation. John chapter 3 verse 16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now what in the world, what, what, what caused God to change the way he operated with mankind in the, at this moment? Listen, in his grace and because of his love for us, God didn't just send another prophet. He sent his son. 
He sent his son not to come to us to, 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 to put wrath upon us or condemnation, but to actually save us from our sins. God actually took all of his wrath, he took all of his condemnation, he took all of his judgment, and instead of pouring it upon us, he poured, upon, poured it upon Jesus when Jesus went to the cross. Now listen to the very first words that come out of Jesus' mouth as he begins his earthly ministry. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, the Bible says Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now I want you to think about what Jesus is saying here for just a moment. He starts off by making two declarations. First of all, he says this, the time is fulfilled. In other words, everything that the Old Testament was pointing towards about a coming Messiah, a coming Savior, has now been fulfilled. I'm the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the Messiah. He's the Savior that the Jews have been waiting for. And then Jesus says this, the kingdom of God is at hand. And the only way to become part of this kingdom is to listen to his words and to do what he says. Now, what does he say? He says what a, what a, what a prophet would say, what a prophet said in the Old Testament. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Now, this was not a message of condemnation. This was actually good news. What was Jesus offering? He was offering grace and forgiveness and salvation. Let me explain this to you for just a moment. Jesus says repent. Now, to repent means to literally change your mind. Change your mind about what? Change your mind about the fact that you cannot save yourself from your sins. Change your mind that your good works can make things right between you and God. Change your mind that because you were born into a Christian family that somehow you think that you're a Christian. Change your mind that you may not believe that you are, uh, uh, that you're not a savior in need of a, uh, uh, you're not a sinner in need of a savior. He says, repent, change your mind about all of these things that you think are going to save you from your sin and eternity in hell. And then he says, believe. What in the world does that mean? Believe the truth of the gospel. Here's the truth of the gospel. We are all sinners in desperate need of a savior. We come into this world condemned to death and hell because of sin. Our sin created eternal separation between us and God. We actually come into this world as God's enemies, the Bible tells us. And there is nothing we can do in our own power to change that, to actually make things right between us and God. But in God's economy, a sacrifice for sin has to be made. If you look in the Old Testament, the priest, he had to make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. A lot of animals died, a lot of blood was shed trying to cover our sin. But nothing could get the job done because sin ultimately demanded a once and for all perfect sacrifice. So because of his love for us, God sends the only perfect sacrifice into the world to pay for our sins once and for all. His name was Jesus. He was God's very own son. Jesus was sent to earth to reveal to us how much the Father loves us. And then he actually showed us his love when Jesus laid down his life for our sins. He took our punishment upon himself. He endured God's wrath, God's judgment for sin that was, that was reserved for us. 
He conquered sin on the cross. And then he rose from the dead three days later. And when he did that, he declared victory over not just physical death, but spiritual death as well. And as a result, salvation and eternal life is available to every man, every woman, every student, every child who will place their faith and their trust alone in Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior. And so Jesus, that's good news. And so Jesus says this, listen, Repent and believe. Change your mind about how you thought that you were going to get to heaven, about how you thought you were going to make things right between you and God and turn from your sin and receive Jesus as personal Savior. Here's how the Bible describes it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it. What a word. What a a word of grace. In these final days, the Bible says that God is still speaking to us through his son. And his words are clear. He says, listen to him. Now, I cannot close this off without just giving a little prophetic warning, okay? In the book of Acts chapter 3, the Holy Spirit has come on the scene in chapter 2. The church has started. Thousands of people are coming to Christ. Peter, John, everyone's been filled with the Holy Spirit. And now all of a sudden they're speaking in the middle of these huge crowds in Acts chapter 3. And the Bible says that Peter and John have boldness, the boldness of the Holy Spirit that they didn't have before. And Peter begins to speak. And as he's speaking, he is reminding all of the Jewish people and the leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they're all there listening. He reminds them of their Old Testament history. How God had delivered them out of Egypt through Moses. How God, I mean, just just walking through their history. All pointing to Jesus. And then he says this in Acts 3.22. He says, Moses said... The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. He's quoting Deuteronomy 18, 15. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you to do. And then Peter says this. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. In other words, the Bible says that if we refuse to listen to this prophet and his offer of eternal life, He doesn't condemn us. He took all that condemnation and judgment upon himself on the cross. Instead, the Bible says, when we refuse to listen to this prophet, we actually condemn ourselves. We condemn ourselves. By by choosing to reject Jesus' gift of salvation, we condemn ourselves to continue to be cut off from God and we choose a future in an eternal place called hell. Well, this morning, here's the good news. God offers you forgiveness. He offers you grace, a grace that none of us deserve. He offers you redemption. He offers you salvation. Jesus came to earth to make all of that happen. The Son of God literally stepped out of heaven. He got off of his throne in heaven. He took on human flesh and willingly became a sacrifice for your sin. And today, he doesn't just want to speak words to you. As you listen while he speaks, he wants you to have a relationship with him. Imagine that. Jesus, he doesn't want to just command you. He doesn't want to just constantly pour words on you. No, no, he says, as you listen to me, 
as we talk, as you, as you obey me, as you follow me, oh, I want to have a relationship with you. What an, what an amazing offer of grace. I want you right now, if you would, I want you just to close, just to bow your head for just a moment and close your eyes. Because as you've listened to God's word, I want you to know that the prophet is still speaking. And his words are clear. He says, listen. Moses said, listen to this. God says, this is my son, listen to this. And Jesus says, repent and believe. Change your mind and believe that Jesus is the son of God who has come to give his life as a sacrifice for your sin. He's the one that if you put your faith and trust in him, not only offers life eternal here on this earth, but a future with him in heaven. If that's where you are today, you need to respond to that message. I want you to pray with me at this very moment. Just say, oh Lord, I'm listening. And now I'm coming to you in response to those words. I change my mind about how I thought I was getting to heaven. I I repent. I realize that there's nothing that I can do. I can't do it to make things right between me and you. Sin has separated me from you, Lord. I don't want to be an enemy of yours for another day. And so I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he came to earth. I believe that he took on the form of a man. I believe that he went to a cross. He took all my sin upon him. All of the, the wrath, the judgment, the condemnation he took, that, that, was re, that was reserved for me, he took it all upon himself. He did that for me. Then he went to the grave and he rose three days later. And when he did, he conquered death, physical death and spiritual death. And Lord, because of that, I place every bit of my faith and every bit of my trust in Jesus Christ. And Lord, the salvation that you offer to man, I receive it right now personally. Lord, I say yes to your free gift that's been offered by grace, which I don't deserve. I say yes to it. And I receive Jesus Christ at this very moment to be my personal Lord and Savior. If you just prayed that with me, here's what I want you to do. Head still bowed. Fill out your Get Connected card. Take it to the Help Center. Give it to them. Let us know you made that decision. We want to follow up with you on the most important decision you've ever made in your life. Now, I want you to look at me for just a moment. In just a moment, we're going to take our gift offering. God just has allowed us to do amazing things through, through this gift offering over the years. And we believe that he's going to do the same thing this year. I want to tell you why it's so important to me that almost at the end of every service, we don't, I'm not going to say 100%, but almost at the end of every service, we give you an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This past week, Amy and I were in uh, the state of Michigan doing a, a um, retreat, couples retreat for a bunch of church planners in the, in the state of Michigan. And, and if you don't know, I'm from Michigan. My parents are from Michigan. And when I was 10 years old, I grew up in a, in a family where uh, my parents, uh, early on in my life, they, my dad was not a Christian. My mom was. My, my mom took us to church, my brother Kevin and I, my My dad didn't go to church. Matter of fact, my dad didn't like Christians. Didn't like Christians, didn't like church, and he really didn't like pastors. 
And in 1975, my parents, my mom filed for divorce. And um, my dad, uh, he was a heavy drinker. Part of it was just a, the fighting that went on in our family. And so my mom switched churches. She took Kevin and I to another church uh, in hopes that maybe she could get my dad to come to church. And this pastor from Texas who was pastoring this church in Michigan, just a man's man, took an interest in my dad. And my parents started going to marriage counseling with this pastor. First time that I think my dad had ever really seen an authentic Christian who was really, truly trying to reach out to him, a man who was truly trying to reach out to him. And he and my dad just connected. And this went on for a while, and I I didn't really know what was going on. I was 10 years old. I was just afraid my parents were going to get divorced. I was afraid my dad was going to go to hell. April 11th, 1976, Palm Sunday. I typical Baptist church at the very end of the service. Pastor's preaching. Everybody stands up. We probably sang just as I am. It's what you do. People walk forward to receive Christ or walk forward to pr- for prayer. I'm sitting on the end of this aisle. My parent, my, my mom, my brother, the rest of our family, my mom's side of the family that's sitting on this. And all of a sudden, I feel this brush on my shoulder. And this man's walking past me. And I'm like, and it looks like my dad. But there's no way. Because my dad didn't go to church. But he had slipped in the back without us knowing about it. Sat in the back. And when the time came, when the, alt- when the offer was given, he walked that aisle and he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I'll never forget what happened. I'm sitting there as a little boy, 10 years old. My pastor, who I loved, stepped down from the steps, tears pouring down his face, came down, grabbed my dad, and then right there led my dad to Jesus Christ, offered my dad salvation, and my dad said yes. Now, let me tell you why I'm telling you that. Because I never know on any given Sunday, at any given service, when a guy who's fighting for his marriage, who doesn't want anyone else to raise his kids but him, but doesn't know how to fix his marriage, doesn't know how to get his life right, doesn't know what to do, and he hasn't seen authentic Christianity, he just hasn't, he just, he doesn't like Christians, but, but something's prompting to him to come into this church I never know when that man may be sitting in the back back there going, this is my last shot to save my marriage, to save my kids. And I'm going to give that man that opportunity when I'm up here as much as I possibly can because I know, I know that when that man came to Christ, it changed generations. That man, my dad, led his parents to Christ, led all of his brothers and sisters to Christ, led his kids to Christ. I got saved three months later in a Billy Graham crusade. My parents' marriage got back together. My dad went into ministry. I promise you, I would not be standing here today if that had not happened. I would be jacked up. That's how important that message is. And you may be that man here today. And I want you to know that that decision by you putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ is a game changer. 
And it's not just a game changer for you, but it could be a game changer for your kids, for your marriage, for your wife, and generations of people to come. The ripple effects of my dad's decision and him saying yes to the words of Jesus, repent and believe, will go on hopefully for generations and generations beyond me. So that's how important that message is. Now we're going to take a gift offering. Father, bless this offering. Bless not only our time of giving, but I pray that if there's a person in this room, a man who's walked in this room, a woman that's walked in this room, who just feels like they're walking in darkness, Lord, may, you, may they see so clearly that a light is shown to invade the darkness of their life. And Lord, just by simply changing their mind and putting their faith and trust in you, everything can change because Jesus is a game changer. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.